Let's go, let's go. New S2 Ministries, it is good to see your faces. It has been a long, long time. I'm very happy to see all of you. If there are not enough seats, this is fun. If you want to sit with your friends, you guys are welcome to sit there. You guys can come up here, sit on, sit on the floor up here. There are a few chairs. Totally your call. Guys, it is good to be with you. Um, last week, who was like so disappointed that service got canceled? Good. I'd be sad if someone was like, I was, praise God, I didn't want to come to church. Uh, no, I, like Victor, Ruth, Ann, and I, we were so ready to go. We were excited, expecting all the things. And then like we were like here at 3 p.m. about to come and set up nine square and all the good stuff. And then we got the dreaded email, all events canceled, go home. And I was like, so I have been looking forward to this like Wednesday being back together. It's been since December 14th since we've had like a youth service. Like December 14th where the town show on the 21st over in the tent. And then I, like we didn't see you guys for weeks and weeks. We had first Wednesday on like the second Wednesday of the month. Does that make sense? And then we were supposed to be back together last week. Didn't happen. So all I have to say genuinely, I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I've missed so many of you. Um, and I'm really expectant for what the Lord has for us. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be jumping into a series on the book of First Peter. Someone say First Peter. If you haven't read First Peter, it is a lot of fun because there's some straight up strong language. Everyone say strong language. There's, there are some things that the writer, the Apostle Peter writes that should kind of act as like a wake up call. And, and I love that because as we're heading into this, this new school semester, some of you already within like one or two weeks, you came in being like, I'm going to get all A's in my classes. I'm going to be like disciplined. I'm going to be like praying every morning. And even like before I go to bed praying, like you had every intention to crush it. And when in like a day or two or a one week or two weeks, you saw like, man, I'm like, I'm struggling. This, this is hard. And this is what I want to call you guys into for this semester. I believe as I was praying for you guys over the last few weeks, the call the Lord has for so many of you is for you to love him passionately. I'm gonna say passionately. It's for you to love him passionately, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to give him your time, to give him your thoughts, to give him your emotions, to give him your adoration, your praise, to give him everything. Seniors, if you're in the room, make some noise. If you're a senior. Seniors, you are like five months away from being done with high school. Like, like that's crazy. Like, raise your hand if you're a senior one more time. Let me, let me get a quick pan. Crazy. Like I'm looking at Mason Smith. Like I knew you as a nine-year-old and you were actually short at that, at that point in time. Your face hasn't changed one bit. You still got college to get some facial hair. It didn't work for me. But like, like I look at like a Mason Smith or like, like Chandler, like so many of you, it's like, like you are in your last semester of school and, and whatever the next like season holds for you, what I believe that the Lord wants you seniors to know, Bella and, and Trevor, I feel what the Lord wants you to know that this, this semester he's calling you to follow him passionately, to set your roots deep in who he is. Eighth graders, if you're in the room, make some noise. 
You're like kind of, kind of the seniors of middle school. But sadly, just like as, as seniors in high school usually go to freshmen in college, unless you're not going to college, good for you, save yourself some moolah. But if you are an eighth grader, you pretty much have no choice. You go from top dog to bottom of the food chain. Any freshman in this room ready to be done being freshman? Hallelujah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighth graders, I have a call for you. Eighth graders, raise your hand real quick so I can see you. I see you, I see you back there. I see you, Asher, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighth graders, this is my call to you. Now this semester, you would be intentional about pursuing Jesus. It's so easy to, to get sucked into just the lackadaisical nature of Christianity and, and what the church teaches or what friends want to tell you about Christianity. And I believe the Lord's calling you to follow him passionately and to be intentional in putting him first, amen? All right, so like I said, we're gonna be jumping into 1 Peter today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Before we, we hit our passage for this evening, I want, us to give us, I want to give us some quick context. Everyone say context. Context is important or else we read scripture and we totally misunderstand it. So context is important. In the context, we see in verse one that, that Peter writes that this is to the Jews or to the people, exiles of the dispersion. Everyone say the dispersion. Sounds like a sick movie title or name or something, but, but exiles of the dispersion comes from this word dispersed, meaning, meaning spread out. And, and Peter uses this language to, to, to kind of call into mind Jews in the Old Testament who were in Babylonian captivity. If you've, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that because of the Israelites' constant sin and, and turning away from the Lord, they go into exile and they are called the dispersion Jews. Everyone say dispersion Jews. And so, so what this means is that, that Peter's calling to mind for these people that he's writing to in 1 Peter 2 to see themselves as exiles or as foreigners or, or aliens or immigrants, basically saying that their main citizenship is not here on earth. Everyone say not on earth, but actually as citizens of heaven. We'll talk about that more next week. But we see that in this letter is that Peter's writing to a group of Christians in, in modern day Turkey who are spread out in the Roman Empire. And he writes it for an encouragement in the face of persecution. If you know, if you've read any New Testament letters, you know there's a whole lot of persecution going on in these letters. Specifically, most, most scholars think that this letter was written during, under the, the reign of Emperor Nero. Anyone know about Emperor Nero in here? Like you, any history people in here? Yeah, yeah, good for you. I see you, Adri, passion, okay. Like, like I, I was really bad at math and science. So I kind of made myself like be good at history because I wanted to be good at something in school, right? And so, but we have this Emperor Nero. If you know anything about Nero, what you probably know about him is one day there's a fire that broke out in Rome and what Nero does is he blames Christians and Jews. And what does he do? He, he wrongly convicts them and then he has them hung up on crosses and lit on fire in the night to be lights in the night sky in Rome. Like, like it's pretty terrible, terrible stuff. And so during the reign of this emperor, there's, there's so, much, so much pushback against Christianity. And so we see that Peter's writing this to encourage the church. And you see, this matters to us today because as I look at our world here in 21st century America, even here in Colorado Springs, what I see is a fight back against absolute truth. Someone say truth. I said absolute truth and some of you started like squirming in your chair, like there, there is no such thing. This is what the ancient Roman Empire fought to say, that, that truth was subjective. So you could go out and live your own truth, how we would say, like, you do you, right? Like, like go out and do your thing. Like, if, if living in blatant sin is enjoyable for you, like, go do it. Like, 
be, like, be my guest. Like, I'll go in and do my own, like, have my own sense of morality and right and wrong. And what this led to was horrible sin. Horrible sin. There's prostitution and sexual morality and horrible violence. And we actually see eventually it's like the downfall of Rome itself is because it kind of implodes because of this sin. And in our world today, there's a fight saying that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Or, or have, you guys, have you guys heard this one? Like, like, Jesus isn't the only way to eternal life. Have you guys heard that one before? Like, like oh, there's, other, there's other paths. It's, there's not a right or wrong. I want to push back against that and, and look into the scriptures of who we are called to be in light of what Jesus has done. Are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and jump in to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. My throat is, is hurting a little bit this morning, so I'm going to just drink lots and lots of water or morning, this evening. So if me drinking water makes you feel awkward, just like give your neighbor a fist bump and let me drink water, okay? Go ahead and give your neighbor a fist bump. We're there, okay, here we go. First Peter 1, verse three. Here we go, it'll be up on the screen as well. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused, someone say he has caused, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Someone say rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Someone say rejoice with joy. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are so good. Lord, I'm... I'm grateful for how your goodness and your love has pursued us. That every person in this room, we, we would not have air in our lungs, life to live, blessings to receive without your goodness in our lives. And Lord, I thank you for this calling that you are putting on so many people in this room, that you are calling them deeper to, for them to love you passionately. Lord, for you to be the treasure of our hearts, not money, not popularity, not success, not anything on this earth, but you being our treasure because you are far better than anything else on this earth. So I pray that we would treasure you, that we would see you as, as precious, as more valuable than anything else on this earth. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase tonight, that your word would go forth and that we would respond in genuine love and gratitude tonight. Thank you, Lord, for my friends and for bringing us back together. It feels real good to be back with the body of Christ. We love you. We, we worship you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, 
Amen. This is what I wanna do tonight. I wanna go through this passage verse by verse and go after this central question. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this question. It's this. What gives us as Christians real, authentic, genuine joy? What gives us as believers real, authentic, genuine joy? I, I love that we're, we're hitting this passage because not just a month ago, last time we had like a normal service, we talked about how Jesus is joy. Someone say Jesus is joy. We talked about how Jesus is, is joy and we're going through the different weeks of Advent and we talked about how true joy is only found in Jesus. And I think if a lot of us were to be honest in this room, especially if you've grown up in church, you, you may hear about this joy we have in God as Christians, right? Like this joy that we have because we are believers in Jesus. But if you were to be honest with yourself, you would say like, yeah, I've heard that and I think that's true, but how I live is not, is like completely different than that. Like, does anyone feel that in this room? Like, like you've heard about like being a Christian means like a life of joy. And then like you live life and the next day you're like, this ain't joy, man. Like, I, I ain't having fun. Like, like we hear about this joy, but we kind of experience a different, a different thing in our lives. It's the case for so many of us. And I, and I wonder, I, I've been thinking about this, what would it look like if you and I, if this youth group, if, if New Life Church, if the church around the world was known as a people of joy? Can you imagine the difference if it wasn't known as a place of legalism, if it wasn't known as a place of hypocrites, people saying to live one way and they don't? Like, like can you imagine if like, people were like, yeah, like that group of Christians at my school, they, they live with such joy. Like they could get an F on their test and still like they have joy. That surpasses suffering of like math. Or like, like they, they like even like no matter what happens in their life, a bad diagnosis, losing their friends, loneliness, whatever happens, like they live with a true sense of joy. Can you try to picture that with me for a second? What that would look like for us to be a people marked by joy. Now, what is, what is joy? I wanna go over this really quickly, but we talked about this a month ago, but if you weren't here, joy is not a feeling. I'm gonna say not a feeling, not an emotion. It's not in circumstances. Okay, joy is not a feeling or emotion and it's not found in circumstances. I was floored by this, by this story. I, I, I brought this back to mind. Um, most of you now, I've, I've shown this video way too many times. It's like one of my favorite videos of little five-year-old me playing drums on Christmas Eve, opening up like, like that present. Haven't you guys seen that video? I feel like I've shown that like a billion times. Some of you are probably like, please don't show it again. I won't. But like, most of like my pleasure with that video is like, it's a really fun memory. And Pastor Victor still can't dance any better than he did at eight years old. He still does the Old Town Road. Pre might disagree, but she's biased. So I don't trust her. But like, this is, I, I had this epiphany about a month or two ago. As I was looking back at that video, thinking about like the closest like thing you can see to joy often is like a little kid, right? Like a little kid, just like, like for me, like playing this little toy drum kit, just like sounding terrible, having no idea what I'm doing, but just like, like nothing else in the world mattered. It was like, this is all that was there. But you know what's crazy is I don't remember touching or playing that drum kit ever again in my life. Like, like this thing that brought me such momentary happiness where it's like, like one of like a, a core memory. Like, you know what probably happened? 
like sinful me, like on Christmas day, woke up and was like, more presents, let's go. And like open up some like Star Wars action figures. I was a big Star Wars person growing up. Any Star Wars fans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like open up some galactic heroes. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, this is so much better. And like, I, I could care less about this nice drum kit I just got as a five-year-old. This is what earthly joy, what's really happiness looks like. An emotion that's fleeting, a feeling that's, that's fleeting, a circumstance that can change like that. Many of you have experienced this. But what is true joy? One definition is that joy is a condition based upon God himself and derived from him, meaning that joy is based upon God being the only person that perfectly resembles joy, and we can only live in joy if we receive it from him. There's also this definition. It says, joy is delight that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. Joy is God's gift. Everyone say God's gift. It's God's gift and can be experienced even amid extreme difficulty. So how do we as Christians experience this type of joy? Thank you for asking. Let's go ahead and dig in. Number one, I want to give you guys four points about what we have joy in as believers. Number one, we have joy because we have been born again. Someone say born again. Go ahead and look at verse three with me. It'll be up on the screen. We have joy because we've been born again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. Someone say great mercy. He has caused, say caused. He has caused us to be born again. This is what I love about this passage is that before Peter goes into any strong language, calling believers to holy living, calling, calling them to live as exiles in this Roman Empire, before he says any of that, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I want you guys to try really hard. Maybe, maybe close your eyes. It might help you. To think back to the day that you were born. If someone said, oh, I don't, I don't know why. You probably don't remember. I don't think anyone in this room really remembers it. But if you, if you think back, Cap, I don't believe that. But if you, if you look back to like the day that you were born or you try to imagine what that day was like, this is a weird image, but I feel like it works. I'm going with it, okay? Like, let me ask you this question. On the day that you were born, what did you do to cause yourself to be born? Like, like, like did, did you do anything to like, to cause yourself to be born? Like, like knocking on like mom's like stomach, like, all right, it's that time. Like, it's getting too warm. And you're like, let me, let me get out. Like, no, no, no. Like, like what, what did you do to cause yourself to be born? Like, not even just to be like a baby in like your mother's womb, but like, like what did you do to cause yourself to be born? The answer is what? The answer is what? You, you did nothing to cause yourself to be born as a human. Like you just appeared one day kind of against like your will and praise God, you, like you did. I'm glad you're in this room. But when we look at this passage, track with me, track with me. When we talk about being born again, we often miss the fact, like we try to make it kind of a different idea when the reality is that being born again is something that God has caused for us. Everyone say, he has caused like, are you, guys, are you guys tracking with me that, that when we look at this passage, it doesn't say because of Jones's great effort or because of Sam's holiness or because he knew that Aspen would be an awesome Christian or because he knew that Adric was going to be a stud and like preach the gospel, he caused us to be born again. No, no, no. According to his great what? According to his great what? 
It's on the screen. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Friends, everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. I want you to hear this. Being born again means that when God looks at you, if your faith is in Jesus as your savior, when he looks at you, he does not see the old self. He doesn't see your past mistakes that you, that you still feel shame for. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say like, yeah, yeah, like you're, like you're my son, but like, remember that one time like back in the day, like before you were saved, like BC days when you were like unsanctified? No, 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 no. Like when you are born again, you take on a new identity. Shh, everyone listen. You take on a new identity as a son or, or daughter of God, meaning this, that we have joy because we have been born again simply because we see God's great mercy demonstrated to us through Jesus. So everyone say, we have joy. We have joy because we have been born again. Number two, we have joy because we have a living hope. Look at verse three with me again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everyone say living hope. Living hope as opposed to a dead hope. Obviously, that's what the word living means. Okay, living hope. How many of you guys have ever placed your hope in something or someone that did not work out? Yeah. If you're not raising your hand, you may be like a really pessimistic person. Maybe you don't put your hope in anything. I don't know. But probably like most of us in this room, once, at one point in our lives, we have tried to place our hope in something that didn't work out. Let me give you a great example. This is... <laughs> Who said that? Was that? She's B. You beat me to the punch. I was going to talk about how my dad's from Texas. I'm a Spurs fan and a Cowboys fan, blah, blah, but she's B wanted to rob that from me. It's okay, I love you. But something, okay, this is, this is what's hilarious. So, like, we were supposed to have service last week. So, in getting ready to talk about this living hope that we have, I was already gearing up for the fact that what my last two decades of life experiences taught me as a Dallas Cowboys fan, any Cowboys fans in here? I grieve with you. I grieve with you. We may bounce back and win a Super Bowl in 50 years. Who knows? No, no, no. But like, if I have learned anything as a Cowboys fan, it's that I cannot put my hope in anything besides God. Right? Like, like every single year. They do this every year. Like, 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 like you, you come to the divisional round of the playoffs. And no matter what, like go 11 and five, like they barely get in the playoffs, go like 12 and four, like no matter what their record is, like there's something in me that says, don't you dare put too much hope in there because like it ain't gonna work out. Like, like, you know, it's like, like, cause you've been let down time and time again. I need to congratulate 49er fans, Athena, Sophia. Where's, where's Sophia? Are you, Ashlyn, you are too? Good for you. I'm happy for you. <laughs> okay, but like, this is, this is like a really good picture of actually what happens for us on this earth. Everyone pay attention, pay attention. When we put our hope in anything else on earth, a person, something you're good at, a talent, a group of friends, when that becomes your hope, when a boyfriend or girlfriend becomes like your entire hope for your whole life, guess what? Everything of this earth will fade. It's just, it's just the truth of of life, that this, this earth is not eternal, that, that everything will fade. And I've seen so many people, so many people I grew up with in the faith, they put their hope even in like doing big things for God, but they didn't really love Jesus. 
Or I watched people like put their hope in like how good they were at their sport and if they could get scholarships. And if they did, they had succeeded. But guess what? One day, like you're gonna be old and you can't be a beast out in the field anymore. Then what's your hope? Like, like you, you and your boyfriend or girlfriend, like you break up and they were like, you're everything. Like, I know like for some of you, like you're, like, you're feeling this, but like, like legit, like all of a sudden gone, like that. And friends, this is, this is what is different about us as Christians. Shh, lean in, lean in. This is what's different for us as Christians, that we have joy because we have a living hope. Ever say living hope. Meaning a hope that does not fade or change. Jesus rose from the dead, and guess what? He will exist for eternity. He will live for eternity. And the hope that we have in him will never fade. It'll never change. It'll never die. It will never let us down. Friends, this gives us true joy. Everyone say joy. Number three, we have, we have joy because we have an eternal inheritance. Everyone say inheritance. Look at verse four with me. I want to go through this quickly. To an, so he has caused to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline those three words. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept in heaven for you. I don't have time to go into all that this means, but the bottom line is this. Troy, can we go ahead and put up that passage in Romans 8? This is what Romans 8 says. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm gonna say children of God. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Keep this passage up here. This is what this verse is saying. If you are a believer in Jesus, your son or a daughter, you have, you have put your faith in Jesus and so God has become your father through the work of Jesus Christ. Now what that means is that to God, you are not just a mere servant. And I want you guys to hear me here. Like you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you are not just a servant. You're not just someone that God recruited in his army like to go out and do some stuff for him and like your prize is like not spending eternity in hell. Like that, that's not actually the Christian life. But what this passage tells us is that if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. Everyone say heirs. Think about like a king with a prince who like the kingdom is his. Like what is this father's, this, this, this king's is the prince's. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And this is crazy because we can have joy in the fact that we are fellow heirs of Christ, that one day we can look forward to an eternity of not just being servants in heaven, but when God the Father looks at you and you and you and you, and looks at me, he won't just see like Mateo the servant, he'll see like Mateo, his son. And this, this gives us joy because what we live for here on earth, no matter the highs or lows that we go through, we have a promise of an inheritance which will bring joy. This inheritance is being with God forever. Everyone say an inheritance. And number four, we have joy because of our salvation. Everyone say salvation. Look at verse five with me. Everyone stay locked in with me. Stay locked in. Inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Shh, if you're talking right now, I need you to stop. Who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith. I'm going to say through faith. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what I love about this verse. When I look at, when I look at this verse, what I see is that the salvation that Peter writes about, it says that it is by God's power that we are being guarded through faith. One more time, everyone say through faith. What does this mean? This means that through God's power, he is guarding us. He is keeping our salvation safe. How? By giving us faith. Okay, by, by giving us faith. What does that mean? How many of you guys have ever had a time of doubt in your life? Yeah? Probably everyone in this room. Like, like doubt of like, I, I don't know if God will answer this. I, I don't know if, if this will happen. Like, like every single one of us, we have like doubts and, and fears. But you know the amazing thing about relationship with Jesus? Is that we don't just stop at verse three of saying, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. And in verse four saying like, and then he left it to you to, like, to, to, to get your act together and do it right. According to his great mercy, he gave Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. And now he's waiting on you to pick up the slack and be like, look what I did for you. Live better. Like, how many of you guys know that is not the message of the gospel? What we see in this, in this passage is that it is by God's power that we are being, that our salvation is being guarded through faith, meaning this, we can have joy that you and I, it's not on us to try really hard to like hold on to salvation. Like, and some of you guys, like you've lived that way. Like, like you kind of low key think like you have to do all these things like in order to have a relationship with God. If, if, I, don't, if I don't pray enough all the time, I don't, if I don't like lift my hands enough in worship, if I don't jump crazy like the worship team, then like, then I, like, I, I have to earn my salvation. I, I need to do more. But what does this say? Our salvation, which will be fully revealed in the last time, is being guarded through faith. Friends, tonight we can have joy that it's not on you and I to be spiritual slaves, do it all right, and hope that it's enough to be saved. You, like, if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in him, you are saved. You are his child. Amen? This is, this is good news. So we have joy in these four things. We have joy because we've been born again. I'm going to say born again. We have joy because we have a living hope. Say living hope. We have joy because we have an eternal inheritance and we have joy because of our salvation. Now look at verses six through nine with me and then we'll, we'll close here in a few minutes. Verse six says this, in this you rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Remember, we're, we're focused on what gives us joy as believers as unlike the world. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if you have your Bible, I want you to underline that. A little while. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when I read this passage, I think some of you, you hear about these various trials, this metaphor of going through fire. And for, for many of you in this room, you know what it means to go through suffering. Right, like for many of you in this room, you, you know what it's like to, to go through pain, to go through trials. 
Sometimes, sometimes we, we suffer for the sake of Christ, right? Like, like some of you in this room, like you have been living boldly for Jesus and, and not compromising and living in sin when your friends say it's okay. And you are like walking this narrow road, obeying and following Jesus because you see him as the most important thing to you, that you see him as your treasure. You see him as precious to you. That even if people make fun of you, even if you get ostracized, get removed because of how you live, some of you are suffering for Christ. And if that's you in this room, can I just tell you, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Like for those of you that like, your faith is costing you something, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. What the Lord is going to do in this is worth far more than living a comfortable life. And some of you in this room, maybe, you know, sometimes we suffer because our, our behavior, our sin has natural consequences. But for most of us in this room, we're walking through suffering because we live in a broken, sinful world, right? This is what we hold to as believers, that sin has come into the world and has fractured everything. And some of you, even as we read these, these verses and you hear about this joy, on the other side of things, you're thinking about the trial that you're going through right now. I, I know many of your stories of so many of you, your parents walking through divorce, tearing your family apart. And, like, and like you're kind of just like stuck as like a spectator watching it happen. Some of you are you're so isolated and lonely. You don't, you don't know why, but you feel so alone. You walk into school or maybe even this room. I pray not, but... You go somewhere and, and you feel removed. You feel isolated and lonely. Some of you, it's a, a health diagnosis, a physical health, mental health. You feel like depression or anxiety are just like running your life and you feel like you can't get out of it. I know so many of you are walking through some huge trials. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Even for... For Lindsay and I, like when I look back on the last four or five months, a lot of you know this, that not just four or five months ago, we were chilling in our apartment Friday night, lightning struck the building, caught the whole thing on fire. We lost most of what we own. We got, we got two friends here, Malachi and Olivia back here. Wave at them. These are, these are our friends, Malachi and Olivia. They were in our same apartment complex before, and now we live in the same apartment complex. Now it's fun. But like going through this, this trial, like straight up, like it was, it was hard. Everyone look at me, look at me. Going through this was difficult. Like, like still to this day, like I don't find myself a very anxious person. And still to this day, like if I hear a loud noise, like, like it reminds me of the banging on the door that we heard when people were yelling, there's a fire, get out. Like, like things like that, like make me feel anxious like that. Like it's like, oh my gosh. It was terrible. Like Lindsay sneezed last night as I was falling asleep. And I thought I was like, I, I like woke up and was like ready to fight someone. Like, <laughs> let's go. It was terrible. But like, like going through trials, going through suffering, it's, it's something that probably every single one of us in this room understand in some way. So what is this? What is this joy that you and I have as believers in the midst of various trials. Look at verse seven with me again. 
Necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness, everyone say genuineness. It's a fun word. Tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, what I truly believe is that this tested genuineness that Peter writes about, this tested genuineness of your faith, what I believe is that, that when we walk through trials and suffering, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when we walk through some of the greatest evil, when there's injustice being done against us, in the midst of those things, I believe it is in those things that we see Jesus reveal himself to us most. A lot of you that have been through the trials, been through the valleys, a lot of you can attest to that. Like I remember a year ago, I didn't know how I was gonna get through and I'm standing here by the grace of God. Five, four or five months ago, Lindsay and I didn't know what, where we were gonna live. We had so many things to figure out after the fires. Like, I don't even know how to do all of this, but like, I'm standing here today by the grace of God. If you're talking around, I need you to stop. Hey, friends over here, stop talking. Like, I looked back on like four or five months ago and it's like, I could not be standing here without the grace of God. And this is what's, what I found about pain and suffering. It's gonna be up on the screen. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. But ultimately, pain and suffering exposes what we place our hope in. Ultimately, pain and suffering exposes what we place our, our joy in. When we go through pain and trials, usually the first thing that we go to, the person that we go to, the thing that we go to, like that's usually a strong, like, a strong case for like what, what we put our hope or our joy in. Here's the reality. That when we go through these trials, the suffering, often what happens is we find that the thing that we've been placing our joy and our hope in, the thing that we've been finding joy and hope in, we see that it is temporary. We see that it is completely unable to actually satisfy or fulfill us. Are you guys tracking with me? So what does is, what is all of this mean? When it says, in this we rejoice, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's a lot of joy. Like, yeah, like we can't even like get it all out. It's like so much joy inside of us. Remember, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's not based on circumstances. So what is this joy? The joy is that in every high that we experience in life and in every 
low that we experience in life. Everyone hear me, hear me. And all those things and everything in between, that Jesus is with us. That we have a God that entered the worst of suffering so that he could empathize with us. Empathize just means that like, he, can, like, he can experience it with us. He can feel it with us. Like the pain that you feel, God is in distance saying like, all right, just do your part. I just like, hold on. And once you get to heaven, it'll all be okay. No, no, no. Like God's answer to our suffering was by sending his son to suffer for us so that we could have something. We have someone to hold on to in the midst of every trial, in the midst of every bit of suffering and pain we go through. Friends, hear me. We have a joy and hope that is unshakable, unmovable, unfailing, that never dies. And it's Jesus. And the question I have for you tonight is this. Is Jesus the treasure of your heart? Think about that. Is Jesus the treasure of your heart? Is Jesus more valuable and precious to you? than anything or anyone else. Just take a second here. You can close your eyes if you want. Think about that question. That's a big, strong question. Let me tell you, this is not a condemnation thing. I believe as Christians, regularly we have to come back to putting Jesus first. so easy to put other things on an equal playing field as Jesus or make other things more important than Jesus in our lives. My question for you tonight is, is Jesus the treasure of your heart? Is he more valuable to you than anything else? Is he more valuable than the the person that you find yourself running to over and over for to try to find some joy and hope in the midst of difficulty? Is he more valuable than, than success in your sport or success in your hobby, success in school? Is he more valuable and important than the boyfriend or girlfriend or is he more valuable and important than, than popularity and everyone liking you and that filling the the hole of loneliness in your heart? This is what I wanna challenge you guys to. You can look at me. We're going to a time of worship here in a minute, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Like the worst thing you can do in church is be dishonest with yourself. Like you don't have to act like you really care if if you really don't. Like don't be disrespectful, but... Don't put on like an emotional show and like. But I want to challenge you to be honest with yourself and say, has Jesus been my prize, my treasure? Because this is what I believe. That when we go through pain and suffering, in the midst of it and after the fact, we can look back and say, that was worth it because I know Jesus more now than I did before. Like, it doesn't make it 
okay. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that like, it's not difficult and you, and you don't have to work through questions about why, why did God allow this or why did this happen? Or like, like, there's, like there's still room to wrestle with all that. But if Jesus is your treasure, if the fact that he is the one who has caused us to be born again, if the fact that he, has, he is the one who is our living hope, who has given us an inheritance, who has given us salvation, like if he is our treasure, then those things give us joy that the world cannot take away, right? Like, like faith in Jesus, finding joy in Jesus means that no matter what we face, when we know him more because of the trials that we walk through, the tested genuineness of your faith, the difficulty that we go through when it's like, oh, I thought I believed this, but the Lord's kind of uprooting this and helping me to know who he really is. Guess what? That is more valuable than gold. That is a better treasure than anything else on earth. So what I'm inviting you into this evening, even for this semester, is to treasure Jesus above everything else. Because I wholeheartedly believe that as you, we treasure Jesus, we will have a true, true joy. This contentment, this, this deep assurance that is deeper than pain, deeper than pleasure. Knowing that knowing him is far better than anything else on earth. So this is what we're gonna do. I want everyone to stand up, just get some space in this room. If you wanna stay in your seat, you can, but I, I don't want you close to like another person. We have a lot, of, a lot of space in the room tonight. I'm gonna join you guys in this. Because like I said, I don't think we reach a point when we just like fully get it. We're like, oh, I treasure Jesus now and I never have to like have temptation that I'll treasure something or someone else more than him. Like, no, it's like every day, our invitation from the Lord is to treasure Jesus. And as we do that, to know him more, to see how he reveals himself. So I'm gonna be right here on the floor with you guys saying, Jesus, I want you to be my treasure. I want you to be more valuable to me than anything else. I wanna find my joy in you, my hope in you, because I can't be shaken. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna sing this song, Give Me Jesus. A cry that I hope comes out of our hearts. Saying, give me Jesus. I, you can have all this world. All that means is saying, the, the, the rest of everything in the world, I don't need it. If I have Jesus, I have all that I need. So I, what I wanna invite you to is, don't just like sing the words if you know it. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask the Lord to search your heart, know, to know your motives, to know, maybe to, to show, to lovingly show you where you're placing your hope or your joy, where, what has been your treasure that is keeping you from being able to place your joy fully in Jesus. And as you reflect and ask the Lord to search your heart, 
If it is your genuine cry for Jesus to be the treasure of your heart, I want you to sing this song out with passion and love for him. Let's worship, brothers and sisters.